Welcome to the Game Changers, a subseries of the Mac PFD Spark podcast, created in collaboration with the Merit Program in the Faculty of Health Sciences. In Game Changers, we explore stories of bold, visionary individuals who inspire and affect change in academia. Their stories of forging new paths and of paving the way for others to advance equity, diversity, inclusion, and indigenous reconciliation. We welcome you to engage with, be energized by, and enjoy the latest episode of The Game Changers. Welcome. We have Dr. Bernice Downey here today for our Game Changers podcast subseries. And Dr. Downey, it's really a pleasure to speak with you for this subseries. Thank you, Ruth. And uh, thank you for the opportunity to participate. It's really an honor to be invited to speak in this uh, Game Changer series. Now, I know of your work as You are currently the Associate Dean of Indigenous Health here in the Faculty of Health Sciences. And I am grateful observer of all that you've done over the past few years that I've known you. However, what I'd like to do in our discussion today is to rewind the tape and start back at the beginning of your career And at the beginning, when you were thinking about what you wanted to do in your professional life. So I'll start from there. How did you get your start in this academic or professional path that you were on? It's interesting because I have always, well, not always, but, you know, probably the latter half of my career where I'm at now, have considered myself as a change agent. And uh, I saw that somewhere on somebody else's description and it really resonated with me. And I thought, yeah, that's really, that's really what my, a lot of my career has been about. So it was great to have an opportunity today to reflect on my path and to share some of it. So I really appreciate the opportunity. And I usually always acknowledge uh, my mother in being very influential in terms of my career path and you know, her recommendation that I take up nursing as a profession, um, I think stemmed from what she wanted to do with her life. And she just didn't have the opportunity um, for many reasons, both um, structural um, in terms of lived experiences of racism, um, you know, accessibility to higher education and so forth. And um, so when she suggested uh, that I go into nursing, you know, she, she basically said, um, you will always have a job, you will travel, and people will respect you. And she was right on all three counts. And so I always credit her with kind of guiding me um, back then, considering post-secondary. So, you know, I guess the other reflection I have is that from time to time, I would pause and reflect on how I got to where I was, you know, in that particular chair at that particular time. And I used to kind of feel that you know, it was a bit like a tree blowing in the wind that, you know, I would start down a path and uh, be appointed or apply for a certain position, you know, and then it wouldn't be too long where, you know, because of a need or an invitation or for whatever reason, you know, I would find myself moving along. But as I reflect now, you know, more towards the end of my career, you know, they were all connected. 
and in some way. And um, so, you know, it's been an interesting path. And I also feel like I've come full circle um, because I started out in health sciences and then moved more into social justice and, you know, in, in specific areas. And then um, Indigenous health, you know, was really a strong thread through most of my career. And that was also accompanied by, you know, a recognition of my own indigeneity and how, how I began to integrate that into my, into my career, into my work life. And so I guess it's been a bit of a mishmash of different factors, but it finally came to a point where I embraced the idea of returning to um, post-secondary education. And, and it was a recognition that even trying trying to amplify my, my own voice um, required um, the, uh, the letters behind my name. I needed a graduate degree, you know, to influence uh, those tables that I was sitting at in, uh, in my, in my positions. So, so that led me, you know, back to McMaster essentially. And, and that, that's kind of been um, the path so far anyway. So when you describe your early career decisions and your mother's influence on pursuing the nursing path, it seems like there was a point or several points in that early part of your professional life where you started to be involved with social justice initiatives, or uh, embrace social justice as part of your professional path or identity. Is that what happened as you were practicing as a nurse? Or was that something that was occurring outside of your nursing practice and your nursing career? I think um, both, you know, in various positions that I held, you know, there was, I mean, my primary focus was in the area of mental health. And so making the connection between, um, for, for Indigenous populations, making the connection between the historical uh, colonial context and the intergenerational impact on um, Indigenous women, Indigenous people more generally, you know, it goes, it goes hand in hand. So it's pretty difficult to not assume that social justice perspective and, you know, it, it has to be woven into um, your, your approach, into your work more generally in order to be effective. It's very, very difficult to separate the two. You mentioned that you, you felt at, at some point that you needed to have letters behind your name in order mm -hmm. to perhaps uh, be involved in the conversations where decisions would be made or be involved in that decision-making process. Were there certain situations at the time that led you back into the academic world and led you back towards the pursuing those advanced degrees? Yeah, I think, um, you know, as I reflect on that, there's maybe two factors. One, that there is a medical dominance in health sciences more generally. And so if you were a physician sitting at the table, um, your voice was given more, more clout uh, and um, considered, I think, more carefully. Um, 
so I think there was that, that factor. And then also, you know, I think there was a gender piece to it as well. So I think my experience over the years has been as a woman, um, it's sometimes uh, more challenging to get your opinion across or to be accepted or even acknowledged. So, so that was another variable. And then I think the other context is people not understanding the historical connection, the sociocultural factors related to Indigenous health. So I myself needed to immerse myself into that work. And I was also very interested in, in knowing more, uh, a level of inquiry, if you will, around how Indigenous languages and Indigenous knowledge um, could inform the, the work in a more innovative, culturally relevant way. And so I couldn't convey that, you know, as effectively as I thought I could if I had more education and formal uh, recognition of, of my place in this conversation. And, you know, it led me to, and it was kind of interesting that I ended up in a medical anthropology program. You know, I was seeking initially to for an advanced degree in nursing and then in health sciences, perhaps health policy. But I also knew that I needed um, uh, supervisors who were Indigenous, who, who could bring that mentorship and that knowledge to my area of inquiry around Indigenous knowledge and Indigenous health. And I couldn't find that in health sciences. Mm -hmm. And that's not a surprise, you know, because even now, after six years, I'm the only full-time teaching faculty. Uh, and I'm not even teaching <laughs> in, in the faculty of health science here at McMaster. So there's still a long way to go in that, in that area. But uh, so I turned, you know, somebody made the suggestion to, why don't you try the medical anthropology program? And I knew as soon as they suggested that, you know, I ran home and I went on the website and I knew that it was the right fit because I could effectively harmonize the health science, the nursing background and experience with where I felt I needed to go um, at that higher education level. So yeah, there were a couple of variable factors, but I do feel looking back, it was the right decision. However, if I'd had other options in, you know, if I had other mentors um, in a couple of different areas in health science, like I'm thinking about health policy, I know in my heart, I'm, I'm a strongly oriented to policy and legal frameworks that could advance our position. But again, there was, there was no curriculum and there were no mentors in that area. So I do feel like it was a good choice for me. I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned your path towards pursuing your medical anthropology degree, because mm -hmm. this is what I was curious to learn about more, was how you chose that path. And you also mentioned that there was someone that recommended looking into medical anthropology for your PhD. And I imagine that there were, or there may have been others along the way that impacted or influenced your professional decisions or the directions that you took. You mentioned that your mother was influential in suggesting nursing to you as the profession. And then also you alluded to someone recommending medical anthropology. Were there other individuals who you felt mentored or influenced you along the way and you feel that those individuals had guided you 
in this path that you're currently on? Yes, thank you for that question. I think part of my response relates to a, a reaction of resistance. And what I mean by that is that in my various appointments at the national level, in working with government and working with other mainstream organizations and, and recognizing that people either didn't understand or were resistive or you know countered my input or others uh, working in this field, um, led me to think, okay, I, I have to better prepare. I have to you know come to the table with uh, more skin in the game, if you will. And so that was kind of one great impetus um, more generally. And then also the political context, um, which I believe was also related to gender. So, you know, even amongst the Indigenous community experiencing resistance from um, Indigenous leaders or Indigenous men, to me was also gender-related consideration. And so Indigenous women acknowledge the mainstream um, European settler influence on Indigenous men because historically Indigenous women were always you know, pretty much revered and held up for their uh, authority and their influence. And um, that's not always the case today. And so Indigenous women have acknowledged that. And I, I feel like part of my experience was in that context as well. So those kind of factors, kind of in the spirit of resistance, and I will change that, contributed to me making the decision to go back to school. But in regards to your question about who more specifically, I think there were there were many women who influenced my career path. So again, it was a bit of a gender kind of identifying with other women who found themselves hitting that glass ceiling or, uh, you know, with similar interests. And so, you know, I think about some of my Indigenous nursing peers, uh, Madeline Dion Stout, for example, she's a uh, national iconic Indigenous nurse, her style, how she handled those resistors or those tense situations. I always admired her way of storytelling in, in difficult situations. Like she just was able to navigate, you know, a very difficult environment. And uh, that really influenced my style as well, I think. I think you kind of shift from the warrior position to the peacemaker and um, also, you know, try to harmonize and work with people where they're at. And so she was a big influence, as were several other uh, Indigenous nurses, because my role as the executive director of the uh, Indigenous Nurses Association for a few years, I met many amazing Indigenous nurses. And the reason why that organization came together was because they knew there had to be something different for them, that they were, had lived experiences of resistance in the communities. They wanted to work in tensions interface with government, need for leadership, building skills. And uh, so I learned a lot about myself by working with them. I also learned a lot from community women, um, elders, uh, Jan Longboat from Six Nations and uh, many others who in my work with them demonstrated, you know, modeled cultural values and teachings and, and again, styles of working in a respectful way, harmonizing with cultural values of reciprocity and respect. I also had some nursing faculty uh, colleagues in undergrad experiences uh, where I met non-Indigenous nurses who had a good grasp of 
the, the sociocultural context of Indigenous health. And I admired them for, you know, it was during a time when that really wasn't a trend where they weren't being forced to do it, but they were, they recognized the inequity and they were trying to do something about it. And then more recently among my nursing faculty colleagues, just the, the allies like yourself, Ruth, and uh, others here uh, in the School of Nursing. I remember really early conversations six years ago with folks like Olive Lehouche and Susan Jack, um, Vicki Smy, who's done a lot of allyship work out at UBC and more recently at Western University, the leadership of uh, Sandra Carroll. And, you know, I, I, just, I just find a, a real respect for people who are trying to take action and learn and walk alongside you. And, and it influences me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then really kind of at a more higher level context, um, I was inspired by Jody Wilson-Raybould, an Indigenous woman who was appointed at very high level in the federal government and then was uh, pushed out, essentially. And I followed her short career at that level um, because I identified with it. When she went through a a very difficult process, I admired her strength and her resolve to hold her head high, stay true to herself um, in very difficult and very public circumstances. And I really identified with that experience. So it just kind of energized me to continue. You need those moments in this kind of work. Mm-hmm. Um, to you know, they're, they're reassuring that you're not alone, and that what you're doing, you know, just as you respect it in someone else, it it, it may be meaningful for others as well. I appreciate you sharing that because you're highlighting so many of the threads that influenced and impacted your work, your the uh, the work that you did, as well as the avenues that you were pursuing and. I know that you're involved very deeply in mentoring and supporting others to come along and um, to to grow in their own professional identities as well. And given all the different threads and influences that you have experienced, do you have a few key areas that you focus on when you are mentoring or sponsoring. We talk a lot about sponsorship now and pulling those or drawing others uh, forward. Do you have a few key threads or directions that you focus on in your mentorship and sponsorship of others? Yeah, I think that's a really important question. I kind of draw from my own experience and then I, I try to offer what I wished I had various uh, inaugural appointments or mm. positions. And, you know, I think I, I try to establish, like foster the relationship first. And so just, you know, help to build the trust. And, you know, I think that learners or mentees, even if they're employee level, you know, they may have already had challenging experiences where they recognized that there was a power imbalance um, that impacted their experience since. So there might be a little bit of hesitancy to engage. So I try to foster that relationship and I look to understand what they think their needs are. And I also try to convey my limitation when you're in a mentoring role 
you're also still trying to keep all the balls in the air with your current position or role. And, you know, you're often running 90 miles an hour. And, you know, so I have to pause and remind myself, okay, I need to create regular times with an individual. I need to hear what their needs are, how things are going. And, but acknowledging those limitations to your mentee, I think is a good thing. And so that they don't take it personally. And then, you know, so you just, you do the best you can try to create a mentorship process that's built on individual needs. I try to offer insights that I've learned from my own experience, um, if that's helpful. I think if it's, it's a, an education-related supervisory position, try to ensure that together you're, you're, you're trying to achieve um, um, the outcomes or deliverables that are expected of them in that mentor-mentee relationship. Mm-hmm. So that's very important too, right? So it's not mm-hmm. too loosey-goosey and um, that they, you're really meeting their needs and expectations. But I think I just kind of try to give whatever I can and I try to share insights and teachings that I thought would have been helpful to me. And I kind of come from a position of, I'm share, I would like to share this with you take what you what makes sense to you what you think you can is helpful to your situation and leave the rest if it doesn't apply because every situation is different but i think mentorship is extremely important i think many of us begin our career paths um, without a lot of guidance and mm-hmm. flying by the seat of your pants especially in areas like the field i'm in where you're where you're trying to it's a culture shift mm-hmm. and you're you know you're talking to many different groups of people you know, you're trying to change things all the time and advocate and amplify other voices. And you've got, you know, you're working with community, you're working with academics. So it's, uh, there's many variables and it can be extremely daunting. And I think mentorship making, uh, you know, developing formal mentorship mechanisms is very important. We want to foster leaders. We want the people coming up behind us to feel prepared and, and to be successful. And, you know, that's an important teaching in our culture is to think about the next seven generations. It's not all about you as an individual. It's about, you know, how do we prepare for those coming behind us? Mm. And um, so I try to stay true to that, but I think it needs to be supported in the structure that you're in as well. And so that's an important initiative that uh, we're, we're starting right now to develop is, is, you know, how do Indigenous people bring, integrate or harmonize their indigeneity into their, into their health services uh, related work? And what do they need, um, you know, to flourish in a leadership role? Mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, I don't think you ever learn it all. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I'm closer to retirement uh, now and still feel like I have a lot to learn. But I really, I, I look forward to sharing as much as I can with those interested in this area. I really appreciate how you're sharing the tension that is inherent in having the desire to mentor, support, sponsor others, while also balancing your responsibilities and the initiatives that you're you're wanting to undertake and the discussions that you're, uh, the multiple discussions that you're involved in, and balancing the tension between those different facets of your time or the different Mm -hmm. allocations of your time. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that part of your, the mentorship dynamic or the 
experiences that you share with those that are seeking guidance and mentorship from you are also based in the challenges and perhaps difficult situations that you've encountered in your own professional trajectory and career. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you would feel comfortable sharing about one of those difficult decisions or challenging situations that you faced and what you have learned from that experience in particular, and also perhaps what, how you communicate that to those seeking mentorship from you. Well, there's, there certainly has been a lot of challenging situations <laughs> along the way. Um, I think to maybe group them, one of the themes perhaps relates to even in a, a peer group, I'll call it, there's great diversity, there's power imbalance and tensions with the people that you think there shouldn't be. <laughs> mm. And um, so even in our own Indigenous world, there's tensions. And I find those the hardest to deal with. And I think um, it's, it can be challenging at any time to navigate the waters of disagreement and trying to build consensus and dealing with personalities. So it doesn't matter that you're dealing with a homogenous group who have mm -hmm. the same goals. You're going to mm -hmm. have, you're going to have bumps along the way. And I, I find that situation the most challenging, but I try to approach situations the best I can. I try to put my best foot forward. I try to incorporate the values that I feel are important, you know, to respect, to you know, to try to understand where the other person is coming from, try to work with where people are at. Um, but sometimes you can't, you know, and you just kind of have to accept that there are differences. Uh, there always will be. And, you know, you just be pragmatic and, and continue to do the work in the best way that you can in those situations. I find uh, the other challenging situation is in systemic or structural change is you know, not just creating awareness, I think you can do that pretty effectively with statistics and um, case studies and the evidence, you can present the evidence. Mm -hmm. But to, you know, to influence the, the power dynamics and all oh, the convoluted policy frameworks and legal frameworks that, you know, hold it all together is extremely challenging. And sometimes mm -hmm. you run into a wall and the answer is just no, because that's the way it is. Um, that's what the law says. That's what the policy says. That's what the university senior administration says. And I find those extremely challenging. And there's, there's a part of me, too, that just doesn't accept message, certain messaging like that. So it's hard because I could just walk away and say, well, that's that. But that's not my nature. Mm. And, you know, sometimes that, that can bring some negative tension into the relationship that I have, I have uh, created. So I've kind of learned along the way to which battles to fight at what time. And, um, you know, sometimes outside variables impact the process and into your favor, and then the timing becomes right. And a good example is like the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. When they released their report in 2015, it, it provided a window of opportunity to amplify 
you know, the work and the messaging that many people in this field were trying to convey over many, many years from the first Royal Commission on Aboriginal people in the early 90s. So yeah, sometimes outside influences can create a, a doorway out of a very challenging situation. Those are a couple of examples. I like that. I'm, I'm reflecting on that statement that you just made, that outside examples can create a doorway. That's something that I'm going to reflect on further because I like that analogy of, first of all, just uh, rewinding a little bit, you describing something that really hit me at a gut level, and that is that the challenges that you have experienced were not only challenges of effecting change and moving forward and the external actions that in um, effecting change, but also it's the difficulties that you encountered within the groups that you felt should share in a common purpose. And there was opposition, perhaps, there is internal struggle and interpersonal dynamics within a group that also you had to navigate. Yeah, and, I mean, you know, yeah. it, it goes against the subtext of, aren't we all in this together? Yeah. You know, so why, why is this so hard yes. amongst ourselves? And that can be extremely challenging, you know, early in your career when that recognition hits. It can be very daunting, you know, because it, it separates, you know, you have to shift from the us and them yes. um, into, you know, that, that more personal context. And, and you also have to understand how you contribute to that. You know, what is your role in that? And, right. you know, how, how do you, how do you operate within that? Uh, if that's a reality, then how do you mitigate it to yes. the best of your ability so that you can continue? And for some, it might be, I don't mitigate it. I walk away it's not contributing to my career in a positive way, or it's taking its toll or, you know, whatever reasons people allow themselves to extract from the situation and go in a different path. That's okay too. And sometimes I wish that was more me, <laughs> mm. um, you know, that I could just walk away from certain situations. But as I said, it's not my nature. I, I feel like, uh, you know, there should be, I'm a cup half full kind of person, I suppose. I just try to find a path to resolution or agreement or collaboration. Sometimes it doesn't happen to, to my satisfaction, but I just, I, now at this point, I can just accept that. I think it's so important, uh, especially when you're in a mentoring relationship for mentees and for those that are perhaps younger in their professional lives or earlier on in their career to hear that because mm. it is something that I recognize can be extremely demoralizing and disheartening to encounter when mm. you see the internal dynamics and the internal conflicts. I see a lot of fracturing that could occur internally that prevents these individuals from even wanting to pursue change and pursue action outside. And I'm connecting this to your comment about the door and with doors being open and walking through those doors right. as they come up. And 
I think it's so important to, to acknowledge that there may be those internal challenges that one would have to navigate even as we're trying to walk through doors and affecting change external to ourselves or external to our group. I think it's important, you know, your comments make me think about, you know, the value um, when you're starting out in some kind of change level work is to situate yourself clearly to the individuals you're working with or the group that you're working with so that they kind of like a dossier of who you are and the work that you do and the values that you hold, you know, so that people understand clearly where you're coming from, because it's harder to do that when there is disruption or conflict or disagreement. Mm. So you can, you know, and, and maybe you're just doing, you're situating that who you are and how you work and what you do for yourself. Mm. Because I think if you go into a situation or a position or whatever it is with a, you know, with a clear understanding of yourself, then you feel better prepared. And so I don't think that's advice that I got early in my career. I think, you know, when you go into nursing, they tell you what to do and what to say and what not to say and how you should do it. So you don't really think for yourself all the time. It's like, you know, standards of care and, and, uh, licensing requirements. So you kind of have that orientation, but as you go further along in your career and you have different experiences, I can think it's good to reflect on who you are as an individual and what your limitations are and what your passions are. And, and then you feel better prepared. And I think that that's something that's useful to do on a regular basis in your career, because you do change, you change as an individual, you change because of your experiences and it's good to to pause and reassess where you're at at any given time. It's before too long, you're close to the end of your career. And then you start reflecting on, okay, what haven't I done that I would be very interested in pursuing? And so I think it's good to for you to understand and start from a, a positionality of clarity of what you want, who you are, you know, what your experiences are so far. Bernice, I don't know if this was intentional, but at the start of our discussion today, you mentioned that you felt like a tree that was blowing in the wind. Yeah. And I was processing that because I was thinking, oh, you know, that's very interesting to think of yourself as a tree when I was thinking more, oh, an analogy of movement. So perhaps you are a yeah. you know car on the road or something. But now your analogy makes sense because what you're saying is that as a tree that's blowing in the wind, there's a certain rootedness and the roots that you build and the roots that are then grounded allow you to, in my mind, I'm interpreting that as knowing who you are so that as the circumstances around you change, as the temperature or the climate around the tree changes, your rootedness in your identity, who you are, what you want to do, what you seek to accomplish is grounded and you grow from there. I don't know. What do you think of my analogy <laughs> or my experience? expansion of your analogy. I like it. And I also um, reminded that an indigenous philosophy you're teaching is that we're always in flux. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we're always changing and, you know, and we have an interdependency with the world around us. So we can't ever stay static or completely ruined it, rooted. We have to bend. <laughs> so to continue with that, but that is uh, an indigenous philosophy. And um, that's what that makes me think of. <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you for that. 
So when you think about your career so far, what gives you the greatest sense of satisfaction or a sense of accomplishment and pride? You know, at this point in in one's career, when you're closer to retirement, you know, you look back and, you know, I think I can say to myself, my intentions were good, that um, I did the best I could. You know, I tried to stay true to myself and I feel good about that. You know, I've had a long career as a helper, helper and then a change agent. And, you know, I think what gives me most satisfaction is that knowing that I tried to do the best I could to work in a collective way and bring people together to create positive change. And uh, was it always successful? Maybe not. You know, sometimes it's really about the process. It's about building those relationships, hopefully taking away something you've learned from others you've been working with and hopefully imparting something that they will take with them. And so I feel like I've done, that's the way I operate. And so I'm proud of that. You know, I'm proud of who I am and, and the work that I've done. And I think I also, again, thinking about the learner experience, I I feel like I've contributed to that, to Indigenous learners' opportunities in education and research, um, in health, you know, my experience in um, being the lead, um, uh, developing the McMaster Indigenous Research Institute, and now the Indigenous Health Learning Lodge, like, I feel good, you know, I I could see, I could see the work. And sometimes that's the downside of being a change agent. You, you know, sometimes I feel like, oh my gosh, what have I really done? You know, like Mm. I'm still hearing some of the same issues and seeing some some of the same statistics in Indigenous health and dealing with the same kind of negativity from peers (laughs) sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what have I really accomplished? You know, it's kind of like, in parallel to feminism, you know, mm. are, we, are we in the fifth or sixth wave of feminism? Like are, are young girls still grappling with, you know, certain issues yes. that I did as a teenager? And why is that? And you get very disillusioned, right? But even so, you know, I am proud of my contributions to date. And, uh, and I hope that, you know, they have helped some people and that they might influence future change. I appreciate you sharing that because as you're talking, I'm taking that tree analogy and I'm just imagining these forests that I've walked through where the trees and all their roots are interconnected and the entire forest is a whole expanse of interconnected trees that have grown together and they thrive because they are all interconnected and they thrive as they're all growing within this community together. And I think about what you've described here in our discussion, as well as the work that I've observed as just an observer of your work. I wonder if we could wrap up our time with looking to the future. And from your perspective, what excites you or what inspires you about the possibilities for Indigenous health, Indigenous reconciliation for the future? That's a really good question. As I mentioned earlier, I think that the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's final report created a a window of opportunity for all of us in Canada to take stock and work together. It inspired me in a way that other reports had not. And I also saw the impact around me from 
from uh, non-Indigenous colleagues and, you know, at every, every sector, I saw people questioning and learning and recognizing they knew so little about what had happened to people in residential school. And I think that was the difference in this report was that it was survivors' voices that had never been heard. Their voices had never been heard before directly in a report like that. So I thought, wow, it, it had such a tremendous impact. So I think that's really the thread that needs to continue into the future is you know, continuing to listen to those and making those opportunities to hear them uh, for those that continue to experience um, uh, microaggressions, although a colleague, you know, reminded all of us that there's nothing micro about racial aggression, Mm -hmm. you know, their experiences of uh, anti-Indigenous racism and oppression, and that, you know, we continue to, to let them lead us into the future. You know, many of them are gone now to the spirit world. And, you know, it's a shame to think that many did not experience a resolution or a recognition of what their experience was. So I think that's a really important aspect. And then I think, you know, in education and in health sciences, our our shared, you know, goals and aspirations have to be about not just improving our situation in this system, but always being mindful of why we're doing the work. And that's to address the serious health inequities experienced by Indigenous people. And if we keep that front and center, you know, and that's the lens that we're using to enhance uh, power and authority amongst Indigenous people or to um, share the resources to increase the number of Indigenous faculty and all of those solutions and approaches that we know are important. But if we keep that front and center, then hopefully that will guide us to engaging in the work in, in a way that's really going to bring about some change. I'm not a Pollyanna though. And, and I, I respect the argument that, you know, some think an indigenization process of the university is not realistic. Um, there's variations on how people think this should happen going into the future. And I respect that. And so, you know, change for the positive happens along the way too. We have to pause and reflect what's working, what's not working and uh, make adjustments and keep going forward. It's not an option to stop and just say it's not working. We have Mm. to continue to go forward. Mm. And so that's really kind of what I, what I think I would share with others who, you know, starting on their professional journeys is, you know, to follow your heart trust yourself when you see something you want to do or change and be pragmatic. I think also it's important that sometimes other people see something in you that you might not see in yourself and, you know, embrace that. Um, You might not think you have the skill sets, but that's been an experience of mine over my career too, is I've been approached to do the work and I'm like looking over my shoulder, like who me kind of not having had that wisdom or experience to see that the skill sets that I have or the unique aspects of who I am as a person are being seen as being able to contribute. And uh, so you have to trust that too. And then I always like to tell people that take one step at a time. And when you feel like it's all too much, pause just to regenerate yourself and then go again and be pragmatic. Thank you, Bernice. I really appreciate hearing a bit more of your life story and hearing about your experiences as a change agent. I'm also taking away some wisdom and insights 
that you would be sharing with your mentees as well and integrating that into my own thinking. So thank you for that. Well, thank you, Ruth, for the, again, for this opportunity and for your own receptivity to some of the things I've said and your own expansion of it. It's great to work with you as always. And I hope some of what I've said today is helpful to someone else. Thanks for tuning in to the Game Changers podcast subseries. We send a quick shout out to our sound engineer, Lori He. This program is brought to you by McMaster's Education Research Innovation and Theory Program, Merit, and the Program for Faculty Development. Be sure to tune in to our future episodes.